Good morning. Needless to say, I am excited to be here today to have this opportunity to bring God's Word to my home church here at Second Presbyterian. I was teasing Kate and Kelly, saying it's kind of late August and attendance is probably a little low, so it's, it's safe to put me in the pulpit. But I'm really glad to see all of you here. I am a commissioned pastor in the PCUSA, and one of the things that that can mean is that I get to do a lot of pulpit supply when there's a need. Usually smaller churches in smaller places, that means I really can't come in and say, okay, for the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a study of the book of Mark, because I'm probably not going to be there next week. I am usually not at the same church two weeks in a row, and I've decided, therefore, that what I really like to do is tell stories. I like to tell the stories of Jesus, and I have come to the conclusion that that's usually what folk want to hear. And I have one of my favorites to share with you today. Our New Testament lesson today comes from the book of Acts, the 10th chapter, verses 44 through 48. Now, I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's message translation, so it may be a little bit different than what's printed in your pew Bible. Listen now for the word of the Lord. No sooner were these words out of Peter's mouth than the Holy Spirit came on the listeners. The believing Jews who had come with Peter couldn't believe it, couldn't believe that the Holy Spirit was being poured on an outsider, non-Jews. But there it was. They heard them speaking in tongues and heard them praising God. Then Peter said, Do I hear any objections to baptizing these friends with water? They have received the Holy Spirit exactly as we did. Hearing no objections, he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay on for a few days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Grace, peace, and blessings to you all. Today we gather to explore the transformative power of this passage from Acts. In this passage, we will witness a significant encounter that challenges both Peter and Cornelius to set aside their prejudices, embrace the other, and celebrate the breaking down of barriers. Together, let's savor the rich flavors of this story and reflect on the important message that it holds for our lives and our community. You may or may not know that I'm a foodie, a pretty serious foodie. I would rather read a cookbook than a novel. Therefore, it should be no surprise that I want to share a food-centric story with you this morning. My foodie story this morning is about crab fat. Yes, that's right, crab fat. Anthony Bourdain, the late celebrity chef, always highly recommended a restaurant in San Francisco called the Swan Oyster House. He was renowned for a number of dishes, but Bourdain insisted that it was the crab fat that made it worth the journey. A good friend of mine, a Presbyterian minister, was with a clergy group at a conference in San Francisco, and she declared that she was none too eager to try the crab fat. But there was a foodie pastor among her group that decided to go to the Swan Oyster House. He had read Bourdain's blog about the place. He bellied up to the bar, ordered a dozen oysters and the crab fat. The oysters were good, but the crab fat was amazing. A fellow sitting by himself further down the bar watched him delight in his food. He was intrigued and asked the young minister, what, what are you eating? What, what, what's making you so happy? Would you mind sharing? Oh, he replied, I'm having the crab fat. 
and it's amazing. That guy sitting further down the bar called out to the waiter, I'll have what he's having. (laughs) Now, this young pastor was not about to withhold the good news about the crab fat. He had just enlarged the circle of folks who like crab fat, and it pleased him that they would be enjoying it as much as he had. Now, before we make it to our story in chapter 10 today, we should reach back to the first chapter in Acts for some context as to how we got here in the first place. At the beginning of chapter 1, the disciples ask Jesus, again, is he going to restore the kingdom of Israel to them? Is he going to make Israel great again for them? Are you going to make us a kingdom that we can call our own and we don't have to share with anybody? Christ's response is, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said this, and as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, do we think that God has a plan here for how he is going to accomplish this spreading of his kingdom to all the corners of the world? Does God have a plan? God always has a plan. And to accomplish his plan, he needs people, not just any people. He has two of the least likely characters in mind to get his message across. He chooses people who are as alike as chalk and cheese, frick and frack, two peas from different pods, night and day different. I'm telling you, black and white different. God sets up a bold encounter between Cornelius, a Gentile Roman centurion, and Peter, a devout Jew. They will be the people that God chooses to receive God's divine guidance and carry out God's plan. God chooses Cornelius a devout and God-fearing Gentile who resides in a house by the sea in Caesarea, a non-Jew. And while he is a godly man, he is a centurion in the Roman army. He commands a hundred Roman soldiers. He works for the oppressor of all oppressors. One afternoon, an angel appears to Cornelius, startled, uh, who, who wouldn't be? And he, and he says, he asks the angel, sir, what do you want? The angel let Cornelius know that Cornelius had come to God's attention because of his prayers and neighborly acts. God is watching Cornelius. Cornelius is given instructions to send to Joppa for a man named Simon, who people call Peter. And as soon as the angel leaves, Cornelius gathers two servants and a devout soldier and gives them instructions that he received from the angel. They are to go to Joppa and bring back Peter. The next day around noon, Peter, God's other choice for this task, is in his friend Simon's house in Joppa, and he decides to go up on the roof for a nap. It's cooler on the roof. I've been to Joppa. It can be pretty hot there. He begins to get hungry and thinking about lunch. He falls into a trance. He begins to get hungry, falls into a trance. The heavens open up and a large white sheet held by ropes at the corners descends. Every type of animal and reptile and bird was on that sheet. And then God spoke. Get to it, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter must be shaking at this point. He says, no, Lord, I have never tasted food that was unclean. God says to Peter, Peter, if God says it's okay, it's okay. Peter says no to God three times. And then the sheet is pulled back up to the heavens. The men sent to bring Peter to Cornelius arrive in Joppa. And they knock on the door of the house where Peter is staying. Peter is pretty shaken at this point. 
and he doesn't hear the knock. So he gets a very different kind of knock. Remember, sometimes God has to have a backup plan for the plan. The Holy Spirit whispers in Peter's ear that the men have come looking for him and he should go with them to Caesarea, to Cornelius' house. Peter tells the men that he is indeed who they are looking for and he agrees to go with them. The men explain that there are people at Cornelius' house who want to hear what he has to say. Now, I will tell you that it may not be from but 70 miles from Joppa to Caesarea, but it would prove to be a very long and important journey for Peter, for Cornelius, and for the church. We have a Roman centurion Gentile asking a devout Jewish follower of Jesus to come to his house. God has spoken to Cornelius and God has spoken to Peter. Both have done what God asked them to do. Both have answered a knock at the door. As our two unlikely characters come together, their worlds collide, and though hesitant at first, a deeper understanding will begin to emerge. It must have taken every bit of courage that Peter possessed to cross Cornelius's threshold. He had never been inside the home of a non-Jew. He did not live near any non-Jews. He did not socialize with any non-Jews. He didn't even know any non-Jews. His whole life had been about not letting the outsider inside into his very Jewish, very non-Roman world. He had spent his years to this point in his life trying to keep outsiders, well, outside, never inviting them in. The Jewish world maintained its own identity, an identity that was very separate from the world of Rome. The oppressor state, the state that had kept its knee on the necks of the Jews for a very long time, the state that Cornelius represented, was it possible that what Peter had thought his whole life was wrong and that some, of the recon- some sort of reconciliation was possible? Were the boundaries that had confined them to their separate corners about to be crossed? Peter nervously enters Cornelius' house and sees a large crowd assembled. They have been invited by Cornelius to hear what Peter has to say. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt? He is probably picking at his beard and tugging at his sleeve. He's got to be nervous. His stomach must be in knots. And all of this is probably true. But it's also true, as the scripture tells us, that Peter fairly exploded with the good news of Jesus Christ. He is on fire telling about how God shows no partiality. The kingdom of God is for everybody. He tells stories of Jesus' healings and miracles. And Peter was able to do all of this because God was with him. He is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with outsiders. He is not keeping it to himself and his band of Jewish Christians. He is leaving nothing out of this particular recipe. He is about to get started with the kingdom work of spreading the gospel to the far corners of the earth. Right here, right now, right in Cornelius' living room. These people have kingdom desire, kingdom longing, and kingdom expectancy, and Peter is going to give it to them for God. As soon as he was finished speaking... The Holy Spirit came down on the non-believing outsiders. The people who had accompanied Peter from Joppa were astonished, but it was happening. The non-believers were praising God and speaking in tongues. The sound of this speaking in tongues echoes through the room, symbolizing the universal language of love. Peter's eyes are open to God's acceptance of the other. Through the mingling melodies of diverse tongues, 
Peter's perceptions shifted. Remember, friends, don't be surprised. This is God's plan. And then Peter asks the big question. Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The last line of this text may be the most important in the entire packet, passage. And then they invited him to stay for several days. Willie Jennings, the African-American theologian, writes in his book on Acts, yet the greatest event of this story comes after the miracle of baptism. It is the beginning of life together. Then they invited him to stay on for several days, Jennings continues. The reading habits of the church tend to run past these slender words, but they capture divine design. This is what God wants. Jews with Gentiles. Gentiles wanting to be with Jews. And together, they eat and live in peace. Peter, our very Jewish Peter, who had never eaten anything not pure, was going to stay with his very Roman host. The table of God's grace was set, adorned with dishes representative of all nations, where Peter and Cornelius together partook of reconciliation, exchanging the bitterness of exclusion for the sweetness of acceptance. The food that Peter had originally thought was just for his people was now be shared, being shared with the others. They will now all have what he was having. God's plan has come together. As followers of Jesus, we will share the good stuff. We will help to spread the good news to all the corners of the earth. We will reach out to the other and invite them in. We will be as brave as Cornelius and Peter by intentionally reaching out to those who differ from us. We can, through acts of love and generosity, create spaces of belonging and friendship. And like Peter, we can do this work because God is with us. Friends, this church, my church, and the mosque up the street and the synagogue around the corner are all doing the work that God is asking us to do every day. Friends, we are listening to the Holy Spirit whispering in our ears every day. We are working tirelessly to change lives and change the status quo where it demands to be changed every day. To eliminate poverty and in homelessness in our city every day. We are working to bring the outsider inside the circle every day. By embracing and caring for one another, we enrich our lives with the different perspectives and talents that the outsider brings in. Just as various ingredients come together to make a delectable dish, our diverse community can become a tapestry of unity and harmony. It's God's plan, after all. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as I close this sermon, we thank you for the powerful story of Peter and Cornelius that has reminded us of the transformative power of inclusion and acceptance. In a world that often divides and isolates, we see through this story that equity and love can bridge even the most significant gaps. Help us to embody the teachings of Jesus Christ who embraced all persons with compassion and, pre and without prejudice. Grant us the wisdom and courage to commit ourselves to embracing each other's differences by recognizing that diversity 
enriches our lives, and strengthens our communities. May we lay aside our prejudices and judgments, opening our hearts and minds to those whom we may not fully understand. May we pray for a society filled with empathy, where every individual is valued, cherished, and given equal opportunity. Let us be the change we wish to see, fostering an environment of love, acceptance, and inclusivity. Guide us to walk alongside one another, celebrating our unique identities, cultures, and perspectives. As we journey together, let us commit to building bridges that foster unity and understanding and tear down walls that divide. Help us, Lord, to be the examples of compassion that the world needs. Empowered by your love, may we extend grace, kindness, and friendship to all as you have extended it to us. We offer up this prayer with grateful hearts, trusting that through your divine guidance, we can create a society that truly reflects the love and acceptance that we have experienced both in this story and in this sanctuary here today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our ultimate example of love and inclusion, we pray. Amen.